Coming up in this podcast, Cole's spin-off plan, tourism challenge, waste to energy, remembering Warwick Kent and Mel Bryce. And our ICT feature focuses on where to for GovNext and cybersecurity. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Uh, Mark, West Farmers is WA's leading industrial company and it owns the Coles supermarket chain, which it purchased in 2007. It's restructured the business and now plans to spin it off as a separate vehicle. Yeah, big announcement Friday morning. Um, Not an entire surprise. There's been a bit of speculation on and off for a while that West Farmers might go down this path. Essentially, the view is that Coles is a very mature uh, business with modest growth um, opportunities. Uh, The West Farmers view, led by new Chief Executive Rob Scott, is that there are some bigger growth opportunities and potential for bigger return on capital from other businesses that it's either already in or sees potential to get into. So it'll give investors the chance to have a you know, a well-established, solid, steady retail business, if that's the kind of stock you like. And in fact, West Farmers will keep a 20% stake in Coles. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it'll be um, you know, a return to the West Farmers of old. You know, it was sort of a, it'll still be highly diversified. It'll still have you know, Bunnings and Target and office, office Works, coal mining, chemicals, a whole range of industrial businesses. Yeah, right. Um, so it'll reweight it away from retail. To That's the right. That it is substantially so. Yeah. yeah. And so, are they talking about? So they're talking about as a spin-off and holding a, a stake. Then they're going to sell the rest of the company, or they're going to share uh, split. Effectively, a share distribution. Right. So, yeah. how does that raise capital then for West Farmers? No plans. No announcement at this stage. Right. About raising new capital. Simply a share distribution okay. to existing West Farmers shareholders mm. um, in proportion to their current holding. Okay. So it's just a, a reorganisation of, of the group. And then once you've done the split, then obviously there's potential for either of those businesses to go out and raise capital as they see fit. Okay, all right. So it's slightly different than kind of capitalising on their efforts by selling out and keeping the keeping the funds themselves. It's interesting. Um, and then, of course, West Farmers, of course, at the moment sits as a top 10 company in the nation. You split this in half? Is this a... Are cutting the business in half, or we don't know what the proportion would be. Look, Coles is actually a, a bit above half of the group revenue. Yeah, right. So it'll mean that West Farms. They're saying that Coles will be a top thirty Australian stock. Yep. And I think West Farmers, on its own, would be in the similar category. Yeah, right. So certainly, well outside the top ten. But nowhere near the kind of player that it is today. Interesting, right? So you know, that's a. It's a big change for Western Australia's biggest industrial company and the largest private employer in the country. They they can no longer uh, lay claim to that. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, And it will be interesting to see what that final value of Coles is because it'd be fascinating to go back 10 years and try and work out the total shareholder return of that project and whether they got it right or not and, and whether this is the right timing. It's pretty fascinating. I mean, they paid about just over $20 billion. Yeah in 2007, just before the GFC, and it caused quite a few wobbles at the time. They had to do some refinancing and there were lots of questions. Um, They've had a good run for about a decade. But of course, the other thing that's happened 
is that over the last year or so, yeah. Woolworths has been pulling ahead. Yeah. Um, at a time, Woolies got rid of their master's disaster, focused on their core business, and have been doing very well. So clearly people have been looking at that. Yeah. And at a time when West Farmers has been weighed down by their problems with Bunnings in the UK. Yeah. And then Coles has been underperforming. Yeah, not a, a failure by any sense, but just you yeah. Know. And you've got to ask how much how much can West Farmers head office offer Coles? You know, as a as a you know from a managerial point of view, probably not much anymore. And interestingly, as well, they've recruited a guy named Stephen Kane yeah. from Metcash. Metcash, yeah. So an outsider is being brought in to mm. be the new chief executive of Coles. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's big news. Very big news. All right, well, we'll watch that one. Now, um, last week we talked about international student numbers being down in WA. Now we find a similar story with tourists. Yeah, so the annual figures for 2017 came out during the week. And while nationally there was about 6% growth in the numbers of international tourists and spending by international tourists, WA was the exception, uh, the only state that had a decline in spending by international tourists. Mm. So very worrying. Um, interesting to delve into the numbers a bit. I mean, the number of international tourists only fell by 1%, but the number of nights they spent here fell by 7% mm. and spending by about 5.5%. Yeah, right. So, you know, a yeah. concerning thing. Yeah. And, you know, listeners should be aware as well, this is not just people on a traditional holiday this is you know, business travellers fall into these numbers as well. Of course. So there's, there's a, a range of influences there. Um, but it certainly says something about this, you know, the, the aspiration to diversify the WA economy. We're not doing well on international education and we're not doing well on international tourism. No, and they're two things that were named as, as an important part of that diversification. Mm. Yeah, and I guess if all of you are running these new hotels, which are coming on stream online, you wouldn't be too happy to hear this either. Mm. Now, Evan Hall, who heads up the Tourism Council, the industry body, he's been lobbying for a long time to say that the uh, Tourism WA, the government promotional body, needs to be a standalone autonomous agency, similar to what happens in other states. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's part of one of these mega departments that have been created. And in fact, the two key people or the two key positions um, are substantively vacant. So he's saying to the government, come on, let's get serious about this. You know, put the resources into it, get the right people in there and really get your campaigns cranking. Yeah, right. Well, especially if you've put, you know, that at least that egg is in the basket and that's what they want to do, you'd think they'd take it pretty seriously. Hmm, okay. Now, Mark, a new waste-to-energy project has been announced uh, worth around $400 million. Yeah, look, this is a really um, fascinating field, uh, I think. Some very big dollars going into this space. Um, So New Energy Corp, um, a local company, chaired by Enzo Galotti, um, who's in sort of the building and scaffolding game. And they've been working away at this for a long time. Now, the backdrop to this, you know, there's huge volumes of municipal waste, uh, along with, along with you know, other waste streams. Um, a lot of it still goes into landfill. You know, Western Australia has a very poor performance in, in recycling. Um, 
they're looking at utilising technology that's widely deployed internationally, um, you know, crudely described as a giant incinerator, but generating energy. Mm. So you're actually using the waste as a fuel to produce energy. Um, as I say, widely used internationally, uh, not much of it in this country and none of it in Western Australia. Uh, they've gone through the environmental approvals process. Um, they've got agreements, supply agreements in place with local councils. Um, they've got, uh, they've partnered with a big Swiss group um, that supplies the technology and has a lot of experience in this space um, and looking to spend $400 million mm. on a new plant at uh, Rockingham in the industrial area there. Um, there's a second group called Phoenix Energy, um, very similar plans. They're planning to build a plant like this down at Quinana. Uh, they've got Macquarie Capital behind them, um, also partnered with a couple of European uh, contractors and construction companies, also with experience. And people who follow this area at all might also be aware that a lot of waste gets sent overseas, particularly to China. Yeah. So, but they're cutting, they're cracking down a little bit. And they're cracking down. Yeah. That's right. So, um, in fact, I've read about some municipalities in Melbourne, uh, they've actually stopped taking municipal waste Mm. because they've got, you know, their yards are full. There's nowhere to send it. Mm. So, it's one of those things that people don't always sort of stop and think about a great deal. Um, But, you know, you've got to do something with it, you've got got to create a market. So but I there's been a lot of experiments around it too, though, hasn't it? I mean, you know, there have been so many of these projects over the years and none of them have been particularly successful from recollection. There's been some big composting plants that have, uh, some of them have been a disaster mm. um, and been subsequently been shut down. Um, and, you know, and there are some environmental concerns. Some of the, the conservation groups are a bit worried about these yeah. uh, waste to energy plants. Yeah. Um, and then others, there was a big plant developed in Shenton Park that, just didn't work. Never quite worked. At, yeah. at, you know, it worked as, as, as a pilot plant, but as you often find with these things, when you scale them up, don't Good work function. in practice. Um, but look, you know, New Energy Corp and Phoenix Energy, you know, they've got te- technology that's proven internationally. They've got the partners with deep pockets and the expertise. Um, so, people of Perth, I think, will soon discover some very big investments in what is effectively a new industry. Fair enough. Well, okay. Again, another one we'll watch with interest. Now, Mark, a couple of significant figures from WA's business and political scene the past have passed away uh, during the last fortnight. Firstly, Warwick Kent, uh, a banker and someone you knew quite well. Now, I actually worked with Warwick at Bank West in the uh, 1990s. Um, he was recruited from Westpac in 1989 and came over to Perth and soon after um, inherited a couple of big losses. And it was the R&I Bank back then. Yes, the R&I Bank. And uh, so they'd been, like everyone, they were caught up in the commercial property crash of the, uh, around 1990. There was the 87 stock market crash, but in fact, I think the amount of money that was lost on the 1990 property crash was even bigger. And yeah, look, Bank West was hit really hard. Um, two losses in succession, um, a real sort of crisis of confidence. Uh, but Warwick was the uh, the steady hand at the tiller, and he led the revival of the bank. Uh, then led it through a change of name to Bank West, and then a year later, privatisation. Mm. It got sold to Bank of Scotland, listed on the stock market. 
And look, I've spoken to a few people around town and they, uh, everyone uses this phrase, the gentleman banker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was old school, um, always impeccably groomed, um, a, a real traditionalist in many ways. Um, and I think, you know, a shame we don't have more people um, with his sort of professionalism and, and dedication. Yeah. So um, sadly missed. And of course, he went on to be a very successful company director um, on the board of West Australian Newspapers, Coventry Group, Commonwealth Bank. So, um, yeah, Warwick Kent um, made a big mark on WA. Yeah, and, and look, it's interesting. Um, you've got that. There's a, there's a businessman, but it was quite a political element to that. It was a, it was a bank that was owned by the state and all that sort of thing. And, and, then, and then prior to Warwick Kent passing away, we had Mel Bryce, who was a, pol- a political figure, but who yet crossed over into the business circle quite a bit with some of his... Um, policies. Yeah. So Mal moved into politics at a fairly young age um, and then ended up as Deputy Premier and was a minister in the Burke government and as someone that came out of that period who can hold his head very high um, as Mm -hmm. a a successful um, and respected minister. But unlike, I think, most politicians, he went on to have a very successful career um, after he left politics. He was a huge advocate for um, the IT industry and for sort of broadband and internet development. Um, he actually moved to Queensland for a while and made Ipswich uh, was sort of rated the one of the world or Australia's first sort of internet connected cities. Yeah, right. um, but yeah, you know, he was the guy behind establishment of the Small Business Development Corporation. Um, so a great champion of small business. Um, he was involved with Technology Park. Yeah, well, that's what I kind of remember him as the sort of the founding figure of Technology Park, which, you know, has been a moderately successful idea, hasn't it? It's not exactly Silicon Valley, but it's been a, a pretty productive asset, I think, for the state. Yeah, and look, yeah, still a lot of businesses out there. Um, you know, I think that as a startup hub, it's mm. sort of it's, it's been overtaken by other developments yes. um, elsewhere. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of business out there. And, you know, just remember, it was more than, what, 35 years ago yeah. that it was established. Yeah, um, no, so it's made quite an impact. Terrific legacy. And, uh, yeah, and Mal was a, a real visionary. Um, so, so, you know, once again, someone who will be fondly remembered for their impact. No, yeah, absolutely. Now, Mark, you, uh, you've looked at ICT, uh, Information Communication Technology, uh, in a special report this week coming. Uh, focus on, first of all, well, let's talk about where to next for GovNext. Yeah, this is one of the big projects um, initiated by the Barnett government. Um, they recruited a guy named Giles Nunes, who became the government chief information officer. And really it was about getting a, a centralised delivery of um, ICT services, but you know, through, through the cloud. So instead of each government agency going out there and buying all their own hardware, mm-hmm. they'd actually contract you know, the experts in the field to deliver these things and you, you know, pay for ICT as a service. That's the way the world is going. Yeah. Um, it's been quite a, uh, a bumpy path though, particularly from some of the big agencies um, like education and health and police. They're some of the biggest users of IT services in the state government. Mm-hmm. And we've had real insight into this because the review that John Langelont released a month or so ago, he spoke to a lot of these agencies and he reviewed GovNext, um, as did 
The other, there's a service priority review that the state government commissioned, and that came out late last year. Now, the fascinating thing is the service priority review said GovNext is not working. The costs are too difficult. The benefits are not being realised. The transition is too hard. Let's move away from it. And in fact, after that report came out, Giles Nunes decided to leave his position. He's announced that he's going to join Deloitte. In contrast to that, the Langelant Review said, well, actually, we think this is the way to go if the government commits to it and if they get all the big agencies going down this path. Mm -hmm. So this is the challenge that sits in front of the state government at the moment. Um, And ministers like Dave Kelly and Ben Wyatt, who have responsibility in these areas, so they've got a really big decision to make. Now, you know, maybe the horse has bolted. Clearly, Giles Nunes's move yeah, says sig- something. Signals a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, it does sound like, you know, it's got that kind of Office of Shared Services feel, which was, you know, a pre-cursor pre, pre, uh, to this and was a bit of a disaster in its own right. I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea of government using its clout to get, you know, something simple and, uh, and, and getting ahead. But then also I am a believer in competition and lots and lots of small providers, you know, lots of different agencies using different things to come up with the best ideas. It's just really they need to share those ideas around the agencies rather than each one doing something different. We, I don't think they necessarily all look for the best and share the best ideas. That, that would be my frustration with this kind of problem. Mm, yep. Anyway, Mark, the other thing out there is uh, cybersecurity. It's a big subject at the moment. You've uh, dug out a bit of stuff on that. Yeah, look, um, it, it's, I guess as, as the whole world moves into a, a digital future, um, one of the realities of that is cybercrime. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a generally accepted view that it's pretty much impossible to avoid cyber attacks, but everybody needs to invest in their whatever organisation you're in so that you can manage your organisation and keep on operating if yep. you are hit by a cyber attack. So a lot of investment going into this space. One of the leaders nationally is a, a research institute up at Edith Cowan University, headed up by Professor Craig Valley. Um, they do a lot of fascinating work, um, both at a commercial level and in police forensics and so on. Yep. Now, they've got a start-up business that they've established. Uh, John Poynton and Harry Corrales, two very well-known dealmakers in Perth, they've set up a company called Jindalee Partners. So Jindalee has partnered with ECU and set up a startup called Skate. Um, so they're developing some really interesting software and they're on the brink of commercialising it. And essentially it's a, it's a new um, platform um, that integrates a whole bunch of other um, sort of devices and packages and monitors networks mm. so that clients can have this system sitting over the top monitoring what's going on and if anything starts to look a bit funny they get a real-time notification and can do something about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah look it, it's a, a really big issue um, a, a lot of investment happening in it and I think this this new startup you know with some very prominent backers says something about the commercial potential in this field. Yeah, well, I, I always think uh, whenever John Poynton has his money in something, you know, there's, there's some commercial potential there, clearly. Well, thank you for that, Mark. Uh, our business News and BDO are releasing the BDO Board and Executive Remuneration Report for 2018 this month. 
produced by our local BDO advisory remuneration professionals. This report delves into the remuneration packages of up to, up to 1,400 ASX listed companies. The information is based on the most recent annual reports for the 2017 financial year end. Uh, it's a must-have for boards, leading executives, investors, and you don't have to take our word for it. Read our customer testimonials from the 2017 report on our website. Uh, check out the button on our homepage and register your interest. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.